morning. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13. Now today's going to be a little bit of a different message because we're going to wrap up some things in the book of Acts and I want you to see kind of what's happening here, what's going on in this book of Acts. And so what we're going to have in this day, we're going to jump around a little bit from Acts 13. We're going to go backwards a little bit. We're going to go forwards a little bit. We're going to go forwards a lot in a little bit. And so we're going to be looking at kind of an understanding of wrapping up what happens in Acts and also our part in continuing on the work that happens in the book of Acts. Now, uh, maybe um, today you've come in and you have got it all together and you are ready to go and life is your oyster right now. I never really understood that saying, but people say that sometimes. Maybe you think, man, I've got it all together. Everything's good. I've got everything lined up. I'm organized and I am ready to go. Or maybe you've come in today and life's a little chaotic. Things are kind of all over the place and sometimes it feels like you can't get everything together. Just a, a, an indication of how chaotic life can be at times. We've had a lot. We've had something every week. Every day last week we had something at night. We were at Union this weekend for Family Weekend. We have something every day this coming week. And in the midst of all of that, my brain sometimes gets a little scrambled. Anybody here? Anybody relate? I just, I just support group time. I need some help, all right? So much so that back, back in the back there, I was getting all my stuff together and I got my, my Bible out and put my notes in there and my notes from last week were in there and I thought I've got to get those out. And so usually at the end I tear them up and throw them in the trash and then I close it up and I, I'm getting ready to come out here and I thought, all right, I've got to look over my notes one more time. No notes. So my notes are now torn into five pieces. These are my notes for today, and so I'm going to try to piece them together as we go, just to let you know where I am, all right? And so, that's, that's not the reason, it's going to feel like we're jumping all over the place, that's, that was intended. Now, if we get it all right, that'll be a great thing. So, we're going to finish up the book of Acts. Um, over this week, we've been reading the book of Acts, in fact... Um, I've been giving you a reading plan each week, and so here's your reading plan for this week. All of it, all right? And so from August 23rd through this Sunday, we will have read the entire book of Acts. Have you been following up? If you haven't, it is not unheard of to read through the book of Acts in one sitting or to read through the book of Acts in a week. And so if you would like to catch up, we can do that. I mentioned this on a mission trip a couple of years ago. That's what we did. We read through the entire book of Acts in a week and had a really good opportunity to talk through it. And so take that, read through it this week. And then here's what I want you to do. As you're finishing up this week, I want you to send me insights that you have seen, lessons that you've learned, questions that you still have, any of that, to my email address, which is pastor at fbcgoodlitzville.com. Um, we'd love to have you just send that in. And what I will do is in a couple of weeks, we will, I will do an online video where we will talk through kind of those issues and what's happening there and any questions that may have. And I'll do a wrap up video for that. All right. And so I've gotten one or two of those already. I appreciate that. But if you could, you could send it to me this week when you finish up. If you finish up this week, send it. If you finish up next week, send it. I'd love to have you just a conversation through that. Here's what I want to do today, is I want to give a grand vision for what the book of Acts teaches us. I want to have a grand vision of an understanding of what the book of Acts teaches. And so it's a summary kind of thing, but I want to focus specifically 
on the calling of Paul and Paul's place in this book. Because you see, once you get to chapter 9 of the book, the book shifts. When Paul is saved on the Damascus Road experience, the book of Acts becomes a travelogue, if you will, a biography of Paul and his ministry. And I want us to ask the question, where's our place in the midst of that? I want you to look at this grand idea, okay? This is the grand idea that I want you to grasp out of this message, out of all the messages that we've done. Um, Next week, I'm excited. I will actually not be here because we're on vacation next week for the first time in a long time. But Bobby Watts, right here from within our church, Bobby's... Uh, in the balcony is going to be bringing a message also on the book of Acts next week to finish this up. And I'm really excited to have Bobby in the pulpit here. This is the grand message I want you to get, the overarching message that you get. It's this. We serve a global Jesus with a global mission. I want to show you that by going to, in Acts chapter 13, what many people consider the first official commissioning for missionaries to go out with the message. Now, there was a commissioning in the book of Acts chapter 1 at the end of Matthew, but this is a more generalized missions kind of moment. The mission had been explained, but missions were jump-started here, and I want you to see a couple of things about it, even in the part that is the prologue to the action. It's just two verses here or three verses, excuse me, at the beginning of chapter 13. That's going to be our launching point today. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Now I want to start going back. Josh, if you can go back to the verse before this, all right? Because there's some important things to understand about what's happening even in this verse. Now, I've highlighted the names of these men that are mentioned because what you and I don't necessarily see when we read these names off is... The diversity of leadership that was already established in the Antioch church. Now just so you know, the church at Antioch was actually formed in chapter 11. In verse 19 it tells us that there were people that when, the, when, Stephen, was, um, when Stephen was martyred and the church was scattered, that people went all over the place. And that at the midst of that, some people from Cyprus and um, some, some people from Cyrene had come up to Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, and begun to preach the gospel. And it says in there there was a group that went and preached only to the Jews, that they saw this still as a Jewish extension. Remember, this is actually before where we preached last week. I know that can be confusing, but the council has not happened. What to do with Gentiles has not happened yet. And so they go and they begin to preach to the Jews. And yet there's another group that come to Antioch and begin to preach to the Greeks as well. And so what we have in Antioch is this 
leadership that's happening where all of a sudden we have a church that is forming that Paul and Barnabas are strongly a part of, of getting it going, of happening. They've been sent there to find out what is going on in Antioch. Go check out what's happening. There must be, there's amazing reports we're getting. We want you two to go investigate them. And when they get there, they launch in and begin to worship and celebrate and build this church. And when you look at these names, it's just fascinating. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, we know is from Cyprus. He was a Cyprian. Now, Cyprus is that island. Out, I need you in your mind. I know that some of you love geography. One of you, maybe. But I want you in your mind to think about the ancient Near East and like, you know, the Mediterranean Sea and you've got Italy with the boot coming down and you've got Cyprus. I know it's not to scale what I'm doing here, but there's like a little island out in the middle. That's Cyprus. And then you've got where it wraps around in Turkey and down into the promised land and in the Middle East and then over into Africa. Cyprus is out in the middle there. And so you've got Barnabas from Cyprus. You've got Simeon who was called Niger. Now, let me just tell you that the Niger is a Latin word. That is the Latin thing. And so this is a a nickname or a name given to him or something that people called him from the Latin in a proper way. And the word Niger means, in the Latin originally, dark or black. Now, we don't have any clue whether or not that means that he was from a place where people had darker skin or if they called him that because of darker skin, although that is the general assumption. Perhaps he was somebody from that area, from Antioch, but his skin was a little darker. But whatever it is, that was a distinctive mark of what was happening in his life. And so he was a part of this group. Lucius of Cyrene. Well, where is Cyrene? Cyrene is modern-day Libya. Actually, probably close to Benghazi is where it was. And he has come to Antioch and is there. And then you have Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now you tell me, who's Herod? Is he a good guy or a bad guy, generally? If you hear the name Herod in the Bible, is that good or bad? That's bad, right? Now this is not the Herod that um, that had Jesus, you know, tried to have Jesus hunted down and kill a baby. This is the descendant of Herod that is now ruling. But just to give you a little background, just a, a chapter before this, in chapter 12, it tells us that Herod had James, the brother of John, martyred and was so excited because the Jews were excited about it. So he had Paul, uh, Peter arrested, intending to do the same, had four guards take over protecting uh, that Peter couldn't get out. Well, an angel of the Lord comes and rescues him. It's one of my favorite stories in Acts. They rescue Peter. An angel comes and rescues Peter. Peter walks out, follows him, and goes to a prayer meeting where the people are praying for Peter to be released. And Peter knocks on the door and they say, who is it? And they say, it's Peter. And they say, no, it's not. We're praying for Peter. And somebody inside says, it must be Peter. It sounds like him. It must be his ghost. Now think about that for a minute. What are they praying for? For Peter to be released. Peter knocks on the door. They make him stand at the door for a while before they let him in. Herod was not a good guy, right? And what you have is somehow in the midst of that, through Peter earlier, through James and his testimony, somehow a man, Menin, who was of that court discovers Jesus and is saved and goes to Antioch. And then you have Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul. 
Now here's what I want you to notice about this, okay? So when you just think about that, you have, probably have somebody from Antioch, you have a Cyprian, you have what is modern-day Libya, you have uh, Paul, who is a Jewish Roman citizen. And it doesn't say in chapter 13, verse 1, now here are some members of the church at Antioch, does it? What does it say? The prophets and the teachers... That's called the leadership of the church. Right? Can we, can we agree with that? Okay. And so what I want you to see is here at this place where missions is about to be launched, the leadership of the church is diverse culturally, racially, socioeconomically. It is a diverse place. And the reason that's important is, from the very beginning, Jesus had a global mission. We know that from his statements, right? As you go, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've done to convey me, and blow I'm with you to the ends of the earth. Well, where are we going? Acts 1.8, so you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From Acts chapter 13, the story is about Paul trying to accomplish the task to which Jesus had called them to the ends of the earth. And it is a global calling on us all. And we see that even in the representation of the leadership of the people in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 1. And as they're worshiping, as they're celebrating, as they're, this group is teaching and leading and speaking, in the midst of that, they hear a word from the Lord. The Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, says, take Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I don't know why at this particular moment they're not calling him Paul, but I, I don't really, I, I don't know if it's to remind them of where they've been from or where they're going, but all I know is this is the one that has been transformed by Jesus, the former one that was breathing anger and threats and death threats against the church, is now the one that the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to take these two guys and I want you to send them. And what's really cool is out of this church that had leadership, that had uh, multi-ethnic, multi-socio-anacomalevis leadership, that they are the ones that begin to send people to the uttermost parts of the world. In fact, as you read the book of Acts, what you realize is that very early on, the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church were pretty satisfied to keep the church in Jerusalem. One of the ways you can read the persecution that comes to the people of God that happens, yes, there were, and, and I'm saying that God sent the persecution, but one of the reasons God allowed the persecution and God used the persecution is exactly what I said about the church at Antioch, is that when people got scattered from the persecution, they started sharing the gospel wherever they got scattered to, and the gospel immediately began to expand outside of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And so they hear this message. 
They look and they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas. And they commission them. And they fast. And they pray. And they lay their hands on them. And then they send them off. We serve a God who cares for and loves every single person on the face of the earth. And it is our responsibility to be part of the global mission that our global Jesus has. You know what's interesting is there are sometimes um, kind of false narratives out there. I don't know if you have ever heard that or heard that recently that Sometimes false narratives get out into our culture, um, fake news media kind of stuff or whatever. But there are these, these narratives that get out there. And sometimes it feels like, for instance, that Christianity is a very Western religion. And that couldn't be farther from the truth in either its origins or its current state. What's fascinating about Christianity, which we believe to be the absolute truth and the only way to God and salvation is through Jesus, is the global reach that a carpenter and 12 friends in a small town in Galilee have even to this day. A few years ago, Tim Keller, actually this summer, he posted a graph from a few years ago and says that Things that don't trend on social media or in our culture are things that break narratives. And so I know that to you out there, maybe you can read some of this, but it's just a bunch of lines. Lots of blue. All right? And so this is a geographic distribution of religious groups in the world. And all of God's people said, what? All right? And so when you look at this, you look at the overall global uh, population, and this is where in the world people live, okay? So just first of all, for you to us to realize that the world does not center around America, well, I love being a part of this country, I'm glad to be a part of it, but only 5% of the world lives in North America. 58.8% live in Asia and the Pacific. 11.9 in Sub-Saharan Africa, 10.8 in Europe, 8.6 in Latin America, 5.0 in North America, and 4.9 in the Middle East and North Africa. Okay. Then what they have is the distribution of the people in the world that are these different religions. So almost 100% of Hindus live in Asia and Pacific. Almost 100% of Buddhists live in Asia and the Pacific. A large portion of folk religionists and other religions. And it's got, you know, it's got an asterisk and double asterisk and all. We won't go through all that. Unaffiliated, you can see that. Muslims. But here's what's interesting and fascinating to me. This is Pew Research, and they weren't going in it with a Christian perspective or trying to figure out stuff for Christianity Now, obviously we fall a little bit behind in Asia that there's some work to do because of all these others. But look at the distribution of Christians around the world. There are almost the same percentage of Christians in sub-Saharan Africa as there are in Europe, as there are in Latin America, as there are in North America. It is the most evenly distributed religion in the world. Now, here's what's cool about that. 
is that's God's plan. It's because He loves all people in all places at all times. And it's cool. To, so, so there's good news there, right? But it also dispels this myth. Uh, um, Louis Giglio, I was listening to him a little bit earlier this week, a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was talking about, Louis has done a lot of work with college students. He got invited to speak at a college, a Christian college campus. And he said that when he got through speaking, that he ended up in a receiving line. He said it was an unintentional receiving line. He walked down to the front and some a student came and said to him and said, Hey, I want to talk to you for a second about something you said. He said, next thing I looked, there's a line of 20 people waiting to say, shake my hand and talk to me. And he said there was a woman that came up to him and student there, probably in her early 20s, he said. And he said just from the way and she began to talk and her physical appearance, he could tell that their lives had started half a world away. That she was from the other side of the planet. And she said to him, that is one of the best messages I have ever heard. And I wish I could believe like you do. But I'm walking away today sad because I cannot accept your western, white, middle class Jesus. Louis said that as the crowd began to go, he said, that was it. She was gone. Shook my hand, said that, and walked away. He said, and other people, great message, sir. So glad to have you. Love this. And he said that the entire time that was ringing in the back of my head. And he said to himself, I cannot believe we have allowed ourselves in America to buy into or to propagate in any way, intentionally or unintentionally, that Jesus is any of those three things. He is not Western. He was more than half a world away from the Western world. He's not white. No matter what the Sunday school meek and mild pictures of him are. And he was definitely not middle class. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so we've got this perception that somehow we've created Christianity in our American ideology. And when we do that, we fail to see the global Jesus that is our global mission. Look what happens in verse 2 of chapter 13. As they were worshiping the Lord, fasting, the Lord said, set apart from me. And so they do. They fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and they sent them off. Now what's this trip that they send them off called? It's called a missionary journey. Paul's First missionary journey. If there was a first, that means there must have been a second and a third. I grew up with my Bible. Maybe your Bible does too. In the back we had maps. And when I got bored at sermons, I would look at the maps and the pictures. The only pictures in my Bible I had. I didn't have the cool kids' Bibles they've got today. I had just a Bible. And I'd look at the maps in the back. Don't be tempted to do that now unless you just feel like you need to. But... There were always these confusing lines of Paul's missionary journeys. All I know is you can almost take concentric circles. Paul, in his first missionary journey, went to a small area around Antioch. Reported on what he had done in Jerusalem. On his second missionary journey, he went back to those areas and then had a call from the Lord to go further into Europe, and he went there. And on Paul's third missionary journey, he expanded out. And what we know of the life of Paul, Paul thought the end of the earth, the ends of the earth, there was a literal place in Spain, and this is not recorded in Scripture, we'll talk in a minute about 
how Paul's story ends in Acts, 20, in Acts 28. But we get from tradition and other sources that Paul made it after his captivity in Rome for a period of time to Spain to the ends of the earth, according to him. That was his goal and his desire. And he was so captivated by what God had called him to do that he would do whatever it took to see it happen. We serve a global God, global Jesus, with a global mission. The second thing that we learn in the book of Acts, and this is throughout the book of Acts, is following that global mission will bring hardship. God's global mission will involve hardship. There are multiple places we could go in this story, in the rest of the book of Acts, to find where this has happened. But I just want to go one chapter over. So if you've got your Bibles open on your apps or in your hand or you've got your scripture notebook, go over to Acts chapter 14. And this crazy thing happens in the midst of his ministry. They go to this place called Lystra. The the story starts in verse 8. I'm not going to read the whole story. Some of it will be up on the screen. I'm not going to read it up, read the whole thing. But he goes to this place in Lystra, and there's a guy that can't stand. He has no strength in his foot, it says. He listened as Paul spoke, and after looking directly at him, said he had faith to be healed. Paul said, stand up and be your feet. And so when the crowd saw what Paul had done, so this guy stands to his feet that hadn't been able to stand, he heals him. When they saw what he had done, they shouted, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. I just think this is hilarious, by the way. Because who do we think of? When we think of Paul and Barnabas, who do we think of as the spiritual giant? Paul, right? Who do they call Zeus? Y'all know Zeus, right? I mean... Right? Zeus was the man, right? And they're like, Barnabas is the man. Paul's his little messenger boy. That's what Hermes was, the messenger, right? And so they say, oh, the gods have descended. The Greek gods are here. Zeus, Barnabas, and Hermes. And Paul says to them, wait, 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 wait. Right? They, there's some more discussion there and... They talk about the priest of Zeus and all these people come in and the apostles and Barnabas tear their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd saying, right? Here's what happens. Paul and Barnabas are there. They start calling them Zeus. And the priest of Zeus goes and gets some bulls to bring a sacrifice to these two men. Like we have to give an offering to the God. And so Paul and Barnabas says, wait a minute. And they run into the crowd where the bulls are being brought, getting ready to be fired. Why are you doing this? We are people like you. We're plugging good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything. We're trying to get you away from this worship. We are not part of this worship. Verse 16, it says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling with food in your hearts with joy. He says, listen, God chose the people. They're supposed to be his witnesses here, but also he continued to give you grace, good things that you did not deserve, that you could not earn. He continued to give you rain. He continued to give you grace. Verse 18 says, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing. So you say, okay, so you said there's going to be hardship. Big deal. They thought they were gods. No, look what happens in verse 19. 
So they're trying to get these people calmed down. They're trying to get them down. And some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, this is crazy to me. Antioch, where they had just been sent from, some people followed to make trouble for them. And when they went over the crowds and said to them in whatever ways that Paul was not who they said to him, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. That's not an auspicious beginning to a missionary journey, right? If we went to Denver and on the second day of Denver, one of us was stoned and pulled to the outside of the city, it would not be a good phone call to make back to the church office. Had a great day, great day. Yeah, we lost Bob. Bob got stoned, you know, Bob got stoned, got pulled out in the Rocky Mountains. But other than that, we had a good day today, right? So people thought we were gods. That was weird. But this is what happened. And here's what I love about this. A lot of people would have thought, okay, maybe this isn't the place for me. They just stoned me. Now, just to remind you, stoning does not mean taking up little pebbles and throwing at them. Paul did not have a nick on his head. Stoning meant to lay someone on the ground for someone to hold them down and to take massive boulders and to throw it on them until they were dead. Paul would have looked rough. They thought he was dead. He may have gone unconscious. I mean, they didn't say, hey, let's not hit the head or anything. They would have thrown the stones down on him. He would have been beat up. He would have been cut up. I mean, you just, I mean, just think about how bad your knee looks, like if you fall and skin it on the ground. And then think of someone dropping boulders on you. That would have been enough for most people to say, you know what, (laughs) probably need to move on. Look what happens in verse 20. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. I love how nonchalant that is. Right? Why did they gather around him to say, oh my goodness, what happened to him? Is he dead? And Paul just, I'm sure this isn't the way it happened, but it almost looks like Paul just gets up, wipes himself off and walks. And where does he walk? Back into the town. Why did he walk back into the town? Because he wouldn't finish telling them about Jesus. If you read that message, he got cut off before he could tell them about Jesus. And he was determined that the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth whatever hardship would come. Whatever difficulty would happen in his life, he knew that the gospel and the global message and purpose of our God is worth whatever may come. Living for Jesus and for the global message and purpose will not be easy. It will not be comfortable. It will not be what most of us try to build into our lives, security and peaceful. It will be hectic and chaotic and difficult and dangerous possibly at times. And yet Paul knew it was worth it. Because we have a global Savior who has a global mission for every single person on the face of the earth. And he saw firsthand how deceived these people were by the Greek myths and wanted to proclaim to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a global Jesus with a global mission. The book of Acts tells us that. There will be hardship. And Paul writes 
He talks often about the hardships that he has. If you read through the book of Acts, if you're reading through it, you will see time after time after time that hardship comes. In fact, when you get to Acts 28, he has another one of those moments where he has to tell people he's not a god because he puts the thing on the fire and a snake jumps out and bites him. It doesn't die. They think he's a god. Time after time after time, Paul finds himself in a place of being chased down, attempted to be killed in court, defending himself because the global mission of our global Savior will bring hardship. And here's where I want to jump way ahead of the story. If you've got your Bibles open or you're on your apps, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Because we know that the global mission initiated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that global mission will be accomplished. God's global mission is happening. And in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, cutting into the midst of all of the confusion that sometimes reigns around the book of Revelation, here's something that we know for sure And that is, the book of Revelation is a book of worship. And in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, After this, and so this is the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth. And I saw an angel rising up, and he cried out, Do not harm the earth. And this worship begins to happen. It says in verse 9, After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude. From where? Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, I do not know when this is going to happen. I pray that it happens quickly. It could be this week. It could be this afternoon. It could be next year. It could be in a hundred years. It could be in a thousand years. God's timing is not our timing. God in his perfect timing will bring about the end of this earth and will bring a new earth and a new heaven and his people will be gathered together. And it says, when we get to heaven and are gathered around the throne, that we will be gathered around the throne with people from every nation, every tribe, every language, and nobody can count the number. You don't know what the word every means, right? All, right? Every. And so what we know from Scripture is that God is a global God with a global purpose, that that global purpose can bring hardship in our lives, but it is worth it because we know that in the end, God's global plan is accomplished. And what the book of Acts reminds us of, that until that day comes, Paul was committing his life completely and fully to seeing in his day all that God could accomplish towards his global mission through him. My prayer is that each one of us in this room would ask God and seek God and want to know, what can you accomplish as a part of your global mission through me in my time with everything I've got? You see, the reality is Acts 28 ends on a cliffhanger. 
it does not make sense where it ends. I mean, sure, it kind of comes to a close, but we want more. We want to know more details. We want to know further. It basically just says, and Paul stayed at a house, and people came and saw him, and Paul did that for two years. That does not feel like the buildup of this book to that moment, Paul sitting in a house for two years receiving people as they came. And there have been theologians for years, for centuries, that have concluded the reason Luke leaves that book open-ended in some ways is because we are the rest of the story. We are Acts 29 through whatever comes. But in order for that to happen, you and I have to be willing to and open our lives to doing whatever calls us to do, God calls us to do for His global mission. Yes, prayer, absolutely vital part of that. Yes, giving to Lottie Moon International Missions is obviously a part of that. To our International Mission Board, to people overseas. But it also means sacrificing our lives to see the gospel spread. And here's the truth. In the world in which we live today, you do not have to travel to the ends of the earth to make an impact on the nations. The nations have arrived in Nashville. And we must be people who are willing to do what God has called us to do. And my question to you today is, are you willing to just say to the Lord, no matter the hardship, no matter the difficulty, no matter the problems that may come, I'm willing to do all that I can do for the glory of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, for your global mission. I'm willing to do all that I can do with the time that you have given me left on this earth to have you work through me to do your global mission through my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for the book of Acts. I'm so thankful for this story of a group of people gathered in an upper room who received the Holy Spirit and a commission. And then see you do amazing things through him. Through, through them individually, through them as a group. Lord, I'm so encouraged because I realize that we have the exact same calling and the exact same spirit. And you've called us to the same. Lord, I want to be arrows in your hands. I want to be arrows pointed towards the global mission that you have given us for this global purpose that we have. And Lord, that you would grant us just the ability to do what you've called us 